Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries in Southwest Louisiana, coming to you today with a new episode of Image Bearers Radio. And I am super excited to be here with you all today. And I hope you are excited uh, that I am here. <laughs> uh, it's a good day. Hopefully your week is going well and uh, looking forward to a, a really good episode in our current series today. But before we do that, I uh, just want to say welcome to everybody. Thank you guys for joining in uh, on the podcast. And uh, if you're listening to this on Hebrew Nation, then I just want to say a big hello and welcome to everybody who listens on Hebrew Nation. Uh, we are fortunate, uh, blessed to be able to have the opportunity to come to you guys uh, on this platform each and every week. And uh, I know that we've had some gaps in our new shows, and I apologize for that. But uh, thank you guys for being an awesome community. And uh, thank Rollin and all the folks at Hebrew Nation, uh, as well as the great slate of teachers um, that we have on this platform. If you're listening to this on our website or uh, YouTube, uh, not YouTube, I'm sorry, not you, this is not YouTube, uh, uh, podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all over the place. Thank you guys for uh, catching us all over there. If it's your first time uh, hearing us or tuning in, then welcome. Glad to have you. And also, let me just say real quick, if you are looking for a Shabbat fellowship, or you have Shabbat Fellowship somewhere where you are, but it's at a different time and you're just looking for something else uh, to enjoy during your Shabbat, then I want to invite you to join us at 10 o'clock Central every Shabbat where we live stream our services uh, to our website, outofashesministries.org. Also, we simulcast to YouTube and Facebook, or I guess now it's called Multistream, uh, to Facebook and YouTube, as well as our mobile app. So uh, and then you can check out the teachings afterwards, uh, usually Shabbat afternoon, if not first thing uh, Sunday morning uh, on our YouTube channel. So go over there and subscribe and uh, ring the bell dealy thingy so you know whenever we put up new teachings. All right. Well, when we get into this week's episode, before we do that, let us go into prayer and ask the Father to bless our time together. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, we are so incredibly thankful for this opportunity to be together, citizens of your kingdom, doing our best to be image bearers the way that you want us to be. So, Father, we hope our time together is pleasing to you because it's all about you and your son, Yeshua. Amen. So last week, if you, well, let me just, let me start out by saying this. We are currently in a teaching series on uh, Shabbat each and every week here at OAM uh, entitled, What Do You Want? 
and uh, we are nine weeks into that series. And to be honest with you, it's still kind of a working title. I don't know <laughs> that I love the title still. Uh, but it comes from uh, the first chapter of John, uh, where Yeshua asks uh, a couple of disciples, what are you looking for? What do you want? And I just thought it was such an intriguing question. And I began to ask myself that question, and man, it has just turned into a whole uh, a whole search. And so we're doing uh, this series uh, during Shabbat, and uh, I thought, man, I want to. There's so many things I didn't get to say, things that I, I want to take more time on, etc. So I thought, hey, let's just carry this into uh, Image Bearers Radio. And so uh, we are a few weeks behind. Uh, where we are on Shabbat, uh, which is good because it's giving me a chance to kind of get everybody's feedback and, uh, you know, I'm, I, it's, it's reminding me that maybe I said something that I, I didn't, either I didn't know the way I said it and it didn't come out right and I'm having to kind of clarify, which is a great thing, or, um, some things I left unsaid that need more clarification or, you know, whatever the, whatever the case may be, it's been really good to give me some time to kind of, Sit back and understand what's going on and how people are taking it. And uh, so far, the uh, the feedback has been really, really positive. So uh, thank you guys for your comments and uh, for you know encouraging me to just keep going because this is uh, it, it 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 was going to be like a three week thing and it's turned into a, a more way more of a journey than that. So I appreciate all the encouragement stuff uh, as I said. And so this is uh, part three here on the IBR podcast where, like I said, we just finished up session nine. Uh, this last Shabbat at OAM. So uh, this is week three. So if you missed the first two, especially of the radio show, please go back and check those out. Uh, they're they're really important and foundational to uh, kind of understanding where we are and where we're going. So just as a quick recap, uh, uh, last week we talked about uh, the idea that we're we're going to end up where we're going to end up being that our habits. Are our uh, our rituals, our life's liturgy, um, it those things really uh, they really determine uh, who we are, where we're going, and ultimately they determine uh, how we bear God's image. Uh, it's it's ironic to us, and it's hard for us to sometimes wrap our heads around. But it is not actually what we believe as much. Uh, that 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 determines where we're going to end up and determines how we're how we're doing and who we are. It's not what we believe as much as it is what we do, and uh, that's kind of the core of what we're going to get to in week I don't know twelve or sixteen or however long this this thing takes. Um, and this series is focused much more. Uh, I don't want to say this carefully because I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea, but it's focused much less on using the Bible as a proof text for how we should be and who we should be, and much more about thinking about the psychology of who we are, of humanity, uh, and just being really, really real on how we think, how humans work, right, how things work. Uh, and the reason we're doing it like this is because I think for centuries we've used Scripture as a as a sound bite and a proof text, not everybody, but in, in large. By the time it gets to us, uh, kind of the lay folks, you know, which I have been, um, it, it's, it's boiled down to kind of a proof text. And then we only get kind of a skeleton of what the entirety of the context of a passage or, you know, a book of the Bible, or whatever's trying to say. So we're trying to avoid that. We're trying to, trying to not do that. And, um, 
I said this this past Shabbat. I'll say it here, and then I'll say it again uh, whenever we whenever we get to that part in a few weeks. But you know, we have to. I think I believe we have to fundamentally rethink how we think about Scripture. I think this is uh, is an ultimate necessity if we are going to get different results. Uh, out of our lives, out of, you know, where we want to be, uh, the people we want to be, et cetera. We have to fundamentally rethink how we think about scripture. What do I mean by that? Well, again, scripture has traditionally been the idea behind it has been, well, God said it. I believe it. End of story. Um, and whether that was, whether that is a scripture that says, thus says the Lord, uh, or whether that's, you know, a writer, writing, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Paul, you know, John, whatever. Um, and, and that's kind of where it's ended and that's okay. And that's good. I don't want to take that away from anyone. Okay. I'm not trying to take anything away from you. What we're trying to do is expand and kind of push out, you know, our, our, the boundaries of our thinking a little bit and you are free and welcome to say, yeah, cool. I, you know, I, I, I want to go there and you're welcome to say, nope, sorry, bridge too far. <laughs> not, not, not can't go there with you. Not, you know, all of, all of that is perfectly fine. Um, but as I said this past Shabbat, uh, we have a bad habit, I think, a bad habit of asking questions of scripture that the people who God was using to write scripture and the audience that scripture was writing to, or those writers were writing to, they could care less about a lot of our questions. Uh, either culturally, they just weren't, they just weren't something you would ask, or um, in a, in an era, in a time, in a chronology where you just wouldn't, that wouldn't be a question you would ask. It wouldn't be something you, uh, uh, it wouldn't be a topic you would be concerned with. Um, and the big, you know, the big sacred cow, uh, that we, that, that I use to talk about this is, um, not the nature of God, because the nature of God, I think has always been something, or the gods, the nature of the divine has always been something that's piqued, uh, human curiosity, but our particular, some of our particular struggle with Trinity versus oneness, Unitarian versus, you know, all these, these different ideas that we have, um, we have to understand that for us as, as, as most of us as Christians, uh, or former Christians, if you see yourself that way, um, most of us were brought up, you know, or, or those of us that were brought up with a Trinitarian view, um, that is our world, right? We, we, we very rarely understood that there were anything else. And, and when, when there was something else, it was generally very, very wrong. Uh, and we were taught to stay away from it. However, what we're not taught is that the Trinitarian, um, you know, ideology is very new. It's only a couple of hundred years old. Uh, I think if I remember right, my memory serves me, maybe early 1800s, late 1800s, maybe. Um, I'm sorry, late, late 1700s, early 1800s, maybe even earlier than that. Forgive me, my mind just went blank a little bit and I forgot the date. Uh, but you can look that up, kind of when, you know, when was the first Trinitarian ideas espoused and stuff. So I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to take, you know, if, if that's where you are, I'm not trying to take that away from you. I just want to, I, I, we're searching for truth, right? We're searching for truth and we're searching for wisdom. And I think it's, it's uh, incumbent upon us to, Look at all the facts. If we want to be brave about this, we want to look at all the facts and we want to understand the totality of the picture. Uh, and so this is a new idea, a newer idea, 
that something in you know the Torah really was not concerned about. They didn't have the questions of whether God was three or one or necessarily. I, I, and so when we ask those questions and use use text that seemingly talk about those these issues, then I think we're doing an injustice to the original uh, intention of of the text itself. Now the 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 argument can be, well, yeah, but. You know, God wrote it and God knows the end from the beginning. And so he could have, uh, he could have, he could be talking to every generation and every issue, even though the text is 2,000, 4,000, 17,000 years old, because of God's infinite wisdom, he could be. Uh, and I would say, yes, I agree with that. Um, the problem I have with that, or the critique that I have with that is that if we believe that God hid messages in his word to, let's say, Israel, if he hid messages for us in there, then that kind of bypasses the power and the efficacy of those words to the given audience at the time, right? So just to open up that huge can of worms, we will talk more about this, and I may have some guests on to, to kind of you know help us navigate some of this stuff, but... um. I think it's important to think about how we think about scripture and let just what I've said just today in these couple of minutes, let this be kind of maybe the, the cracking of the egg as, as kind of some new questions and some new thoughts maybe burst from your, you know, your thinking and your mind. And those of you that are question oriented people, this should put you on a, uh, <laughs> quite a uh, rabbit hole. Uh, and so we don't want to do that, right? We want to be present. We want to understand uh, the place of scripture and what it is and really have a, uh, an awe and a, and a, um, uh, an incredible, uh, depth of humility and, and, and carefulness when we, when we approach scripture. But we don't want to, and in that, and because of that, we don't want to make it say stuff it doesn't say. Right. So, uh, we are talking about how liturgy, how, uh, these things, uh, you know, uh, with that observance, we, how observance, our observance needs to increase. I don't care where you are, what spectrum you're on, wherever you might find yourself. In order to move forward from here, I believe that our observance needs to increase. What do we mean by that? So we talked about last episode, so I'm not going to go back through the whole thing. Uh, and I just want to say as a, as a, you know, as a, a caveat that, uh, this message is not for everyone. And that's, and I understand that. It's okay. Not every, teaching that a, a teacher does or message that a pastor preaches is for the entirety of the kingdom. That's foolish to think that that's the case. Um, but I know at OAM here and any of you who consider yourselves a part of our family, um, I believe this is a, a message for us, for where we are. Our observance needs to increase. And it all has to do with identity and things that we're going to get into as the weeks go on, or if you've been listening to Shabbat, that we've already kind of started to uh, to crack. So when we say our observance... Uh, we have different synonyms for observance. If observance doesn't land for you, um, obedience is one. Uh, in the, the Jewish or Hebraic understanding, halakha is one, how you walk. Uh, your faithfulness is another one. Uh, habits, spiritual, religious, and just interpersonal habits are another one. Um, liturgy is a great one that I really love. And then uh, ritual is another one that's kind of along those lines. Uh, those things have to increase 
and um, and we're 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 reading through a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. I know many of you have gone out and gotten the book. Awesome. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, I have been just absolutely loving it. Uh, it's so pragmatic and practical and just really good. And I don't know James Clear's religious affiliation. I don't know his, you know, I don't know and I don't care. Uh, I think what he's saying um, can be a huge benefit to the way we think about in a religious context, what we think about and how we process scripture and doing scripture in life. And so he uses the idea of systems. So for us, you know, in a religious context, we would have observance or faithfulness or ritual or halakha, you know, whatever. And in a secular, I would say, sphere, you would have the idea of systems. And when we say all of these words, they're all the same. They're all trying to convey the same message, right? Um, so when we're trying to increase those things because the, the punchline or the end of the story, the summation of it all is that if we have a place we want to get to, just believing is not going to get us there. We have to put feet to it. And so I think we have the believing part down pretty well, but we have the behavior or the action or the ritual or the observance or the faithful part is what we have to work on. So uh, in this week's episode, I want to talk about uh, – just cover a couple of, uh, of teachings that I've done before because I think they're a really good foundation for where we're going. And the first one is one I titled Worshiping at Mount Stupid. Uh, and that's a very crass title, I understand, but it's kind of clickbaity. And, uh, that was the, that was the point. And so the, um, the worshiping at Mount Stupid, uh, that was, this was a teaching that came out of a study that I found and became fascinated with, uh, by two scientists. Um, and it is called, it is a, a study called the Dunning Kruger effect. Now, some of you will remember this teaching. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you are Googling Dunning-Kruger effect right now. And um, it's a fascinating, fascinating study. If you like psychology or the way the brain works or the way sociology and people work, um, I would encourage you to go check out this study. But if you don't want it, the TLDR, too long, didn't read version, uh, is these, these scientists did uh, – the researchers did a study where they took some, some, I think it was college kids, um, and they observed them over a class period, uh, you know, a session, did some testing and some exams and stuff. And, and what they found was that, um, that the, the less competent we are, in other words, when you first begin to learn about something, you are incredibly confident that you know everything you need to know about that subject. And you reach a, a peak of confidence where you you're it's almost obnoxious. And they didn't say this, I'm saying this, this is Joe's words. It's almost an obnoxious confidence for the amount of competence you have. So there's a graph, and you can if you look up Dunning D-U-N-N-I-N-G dash Kruger K-R-U-G-E-R, you'll see the graph. It's a chart. And so uh as confidence goes up. Or right at the beginning of confidence and competence, you're, you're, you're really confident that you know everything you need to know about a subject. Uh, my favorite example of this is a teenager, right? A 14, 13, 14, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 18-year-old 
believes that they know how to make all the correct decisions in life. They know what's best. They know what's best for them. They know what's best for you. They know what's best for the family. They know what's best for the whole world, right? And um, the truth is, for those of us that have lived a little bit longer than you know, 16, 18, 20 years, the truth is uh, that we know that they know next to nothing, right? Doesn't mean that they're not smart. Doesn't mean that they're not gifted. Doesn't mean that they're not... There's an experience factor there that they just don't have. And then, you know, this is all, we all did it. We were all the same way. And, and our kids are the same way. And their kids will be the same way. And their kids after them. It's the human experience, right? And so this is a perfect picture of what Dunning and Kruger found is that you think you know enough about a subject that you've mastered it and you're incredibly confident. But as time goes on, your confidence falls. So as you begin to learn a subject, you get the gist of it. Most of us are smart enough to, you know, within a week or so, maybe even a few days, maybe a couple hours of, of starting to learn about a new subject, uh, we feel like, yeah, I got, I got a handle on it, right? This is simple. But then most of us will also know, or hopefully you will know, that if you stick to it and you continue to study that subject for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years, you will realize that you have no idea what you're talking about because you realize that this subject, whatever it is, is infinitely more vast than you thought it was. And there are nuances and there are there are differences of opinion and there are there are all these these things, right? They're different points of view. They're different understandings and interpretations and all these things. And the more you study, you actually begin to walk into the world of that topic and you start to realize, oh my gosh, man, there's a lot of different stuff out here that I need to know if I'm going to fully understand this topic. So your confidence, as your competence increases, you're learning more, your confidence falls and you go like, I don't know anything. But I'm learning, right? And there's a valley there. There's a dip in the graph there. And that valley is called the valley of despair, where you go like, I just, I have no idea. I don't know anything about any of this stuff, right? But if you continue to learn bit by bit, chunk by chunk, day by day, you may feel like you don't know, but you are gaining an incredible amount of competence in that subject, and then as competence increases, then so does real confidence and the graph tends to go back up, right? And so the whole point of the teaching that we did, and again, if this intrigues you, and I think it should intrigue you because you should hear yourself as we talk about this, go read about it, go study it, check out the graph, print it out, put it as your screensaver, whatever, just so you can remind yourself. What tends to happen to us in the Torah walk is that we have a massive identity problem. And now I, we're going to, we only have a, a few minutes or a minute or so to the end of this, this segment. So I don't want to, uh, you know, get into it too much right here. I want to wait until the break because I really want to talk about this. But we have this thing where as believers, most of us, most of you listening to this, this today, uh, grew up in some kind of Christian denomination or non-denominational, which is a denomination all of its own. Uh, we grew up that way and that was our identity. That was everything that we were. You're Baptist, you're Catholic, you're, you know, Presbyterian, you're non-denominational, you're Pentecostal, you're whatever. And that is who you are. 
no matter how involved you are in that church or in that denomination, that is your identity. You have a set of cultural norms. You have a set of group norms. You do communion. You do prayer a certain way. You, you, your preaching is a certain way. Your services are structured a certain way. There's a culture there. And then when we find the Torah, when we, if you and when you leave those denominations and those places, you're not only saying goodbye to Christian doctrines that you no longer agree with, you're also saying goodbye to the, your former identity. The thing that made you or was a massive contributing, contributing factor to who you are. And we don't realize that in the Hebrew roots movement and messianic movement. What we think is that we're leaving lies behind to pursue truth. But what we're actually, and that, and that is true. But, but also what's happening is that we're leaving behind identity, identities. It's not just theology we're leaving behind. It's identities we're leaving behind. And that creates a massive, massive, trauma almost and so when we come back in the second segment we're going to pick up right there don't go away we'll be right back right after the break Alright guys, welcome back. So hey, we're talking about, uh, this trauma that happens when we leave our Christian denomination, uh, in search of Torah, in search of truth, right? And as I said, the end of the last segment, this is something that we never talk about. No, I've never heard anybody talk about this. Maybe there are discussions and if there are, please let me know. I'd love to, I'd love to engage and, and learn. But something that I have found is that, again, I don't want to be too redundant because I've got a lot more I want to talk about in this in this episode. But when you leave whatever your denomination is or whatever your you know your your religious background is, when you quote unquote leave that uh, to pursue the Torah, to pursue truth, to pursue you know these things, we are not just leaving one set of beliefs and picking up another set of beliefs because. Those former beliefs that you, that you had and the practices that go along with them. And I would say probably even more importantly, the practices that go along with them formed who you were. And so when you leave those things, there's a, there's an identity gap there that happens as you learn Torah and you learn different maybe ways of thinking about God and thinking about life and thinking about scripture and you know the plethora of different uh subjects and ideas that we explore when we are you know free to actually question and explore you you start to 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 form new ideas and things but you in the meantime you're in a a a, a, a liminal state a liminal state it means that you're in between um you're not a christian or you don't see yourself as a Christian in, in the typical concern, you know, our, our fundamental way that we just describe and define Christianity. Um, but what are you? You're not Jewish. Um, and so many people adopt what we call the Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. Um, but, but no, you're not. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but you're not a Hebrew. 
um, because Hebrew in the in in Scripture, and we I, we can have a lot of debate, a lot of dis- and there is a lot of debate and discussion about this. Um, Hebrew can be defined from Avraham and Ivri, uh, one who crossed over. So you can say, well, I crossed over from Christianity into you know Hebraic Hebrew roots, or you know whatever you however we want to say that, and um, and that is true. Uh, however, the there, there's some issues with that that we won't we won't necessarily get into here. But out of this comes like the two house uh, understanding, and I taught two house for a long time. I believe two house for a long time. Uh, I don't necessarily anymore. Uh, it's not that I don't believe it or understand it or teach it. Uh, it's that I don't think it's quite all we made it out to be. But the reason I think many people. Just absolutely dig into, well, now I'm a Hebrew. Now I'm an Israelite. The reason why people dig into that so much is because they, we don't understand that we, we didn't just leave doctrines. We left our identity. We don't understand that. And we think that our soul is, is starving for truth. And it is. But what we're also starving for is identity. And sometimes we use the truth thing as a mask for our real search for identity. We use truth as a way to say, well, I'm just, I'm just searching for the truth. What we, what really is usually, I think pretty safely, and, and, and listen, this, this conversation is going to force you to be brave. It's going to force you to have courage to really say, okay, is, is he talking about me? Is, are these things that I, I, and I, and you have to be honest with yourself. And it's hard because you may realize that you have some beliefs and some thoughts and you might have hurt some people out of a militance and a belligerence that really was not your search for truth at all. It was really because you were, you were frustrated because you didn't know who you are anymore. Because see, when I was a Baptist, I knew exactly who I was and being a Baptist was very clearly defined for me. It was defined for me. So all I had to do was shake my head and say yes, amen, and go about my business. And I lived and, and worshiped in a community where we were all, you know, fairly similar. And that's good. Um, and so I knew what I was. Then when I left the Baptist church and went to a more Pentecostal, um, Pentecostal, you know, type of, of circle of churches, um, then I, I, I went from there to a new kind of, not a new identity, but just I, I, I broadened what, what I felt like I broadened my under, my Baptist understanding. So I, I kept some, a lot of the Baptist stuff, but I broadened it with, you know, the spiritual stuff that I never learned. But most of the time when we come into the Hebrew roots movement, the messianic movement, that's not what happens. For, for many people, that is what happens. They just take the Torah and they use it to broaden their all, their, you know, their understandings, which is good. But many times those people get attacked as, well, still Christian. Well, they're still Christians. By those of us who have left what we feel like we've left all of Christianity behind, and now we are this new thing. The problem is we're not a new thing yet. 
there is, we are still Christians, and I, it may hurt your feelings, it may upset you to, to hear this, you're a Christian. Why do I say that? Because that's who, that's who you've been for 20, 30, 40, 60 years. And you're not going to just be, quote unquote, a Hebrew or an Israelite overnight, or in six months, or in two years, or in five years, or in ten years, most likely. This is the hard truth that nobody is talking about. And many times, again, our search for, quote unquote, search for truth is really because we feel like we are drowning in 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 a lack of identity, in a lack of purpose, in a lack of direction, in a lack of significance. Because for the most part, when we leave our denominations, our fellowships, our churches, and follow the Torah, the vast majority of us do not go from one fellowship to a Torah fellowship. Again, some do, maybe even many do, but the majority do not. And so there is no group identity. There is no, you don't just fall in somewhere and everybody goes like, well, this is how we do it here. That usually doesn't exist. What you usually do, and I, and I actually, I've said this before, and I, I stand by this. I think this is a positive thing. I think this is a God thing. We usually spend some time alone in the wilderness, so to speak, which is not a negative connotation. The wilderness is not a negative thing. The wilderness is developmental. The wilderness is transitional. One of the things I love about, uh, about the book of, of, um, of numbers, right, is, that, you know, we call it numbers in the English, but it's Bamidbar, it's in the wilderness. And I love the idea of the 40, because 40, I, my teaching and my, you know, my understanding was always that 40 is the number of, of testing. And, and it, it may be true that it is. However, every time we see 40, we also see a transition happening. Every time we see 40, there's a transition happening. Noah in the ark, the transition is going from the, the violent, right, uh, desecrated world to now a new clean temple for Hashem to, to reside in. Uh, 40 years in the wilderness with Israel, they are going from slaves to free. Yeshua is in the wilderness for 40 days. We're going from, you know, before he starts his ministry till after. So 40 is, it, the thing is that 40 is not about testing. 40 is ultimately about transition. But in order to transition, you have to pass some tests. <laughs> you have to be tempted. You have to learn some lessons. You may have to go around an issue maybe for weeks or months or years until you get it right because there is something waiting for you, but God is not going to let you have that thing until you have passed the test. So 40 is a time of transition, and that is done alone for us most of the time. And I actually encourage people not to jump from, you know, don't be a Baptist on Sunday, and then the next Shabbat be a, a full-fledged member of some, you know, Sabbath community. Why? Well, because the truth is that between one Sunday and the next Saturday, you don't know what you believe, you may you may go well. Yeah, I do. I believe the Sabbath is right. Okay, good. Um, what do you believe about keeping the Sabbath? Well, I don't know. I've gotten there yet. Okay. So 
you know, it, it can be the reason why it can be uh, to our detriment is because generally, for those of us in who grew up in church, we generally did not think really deeply and ask a lot of questions about what we were taught. Generally, we just kind of took it and went, yep, okay, good. And then we read the Bible back through that lens that we were already taught. And so there was no need for questions because we are, we are smart enough as human beings and, and our brains work in a way where we just, things conform to our, uh, our predetermined, you know, way that they think about it. That's just, it's an, we, we're our own echo chamber. It's called confirmation bias, right? So, when, so we don't learn how to think. We don't, Sunday school doesn't teach us how to ask questions. It doesn't teach us how to think. It teaches us how to be taught. And so whenever we transition or begin to transition, we need that, that empty space or that quiet space and that alone space. If we will allow God, he will use that time to teach us how to ask questions. He will teach us how to search, how to navigate certain things. And sometimes that that season can be six months, it can be a year, it can be two years, three years. It's it it never fails that we have people, you know, in and out through the ministry all the time that will say, um, man, we looked, you know, we looked in this area for a ministry for we've been looking for two years, three years. How long have you guys been here? Like seven, eight years. They go, how would we not find you? And I just snicker and go, because you weren't, it wasn't time yet. You weren't ready and maybe we weren't ready. Um, it's a good, it's a good time. The, the, the hard thing about that time, and that's why I think this discussion is so important. The hard thing about that time is that we, don't realize that we're not only in a, in a doctrinal search, we are also in an identity search. And so what happens is that the first teachings that we really hear, the first, you know, calendar teachings that we hear, the first name of God teachings that we really hear, the first Torah teachings that we hear, whether they're from a, you know, a rabbi or whether they're from a Hebrew roots teacher, whether they're from a, someone who has a congregation and is more pastoral or whether they're from someone who is a, more of a traveling teacher and, you know, has a, a particular topic or, you know, something like that that they, they really focus on. Those things will, will generally become our identity. And it usually happens that the, the, for many people, it's the, the things that are the beliefs and the teachings that are the most out of the mainstream, that are the most niche, that are the least agreed upon. For many people, those are the things that really become truth for us. And I suspect that it has something to do with the idea of narrow is the way and few find it, right? And so how few is few? How, how few is few? Um, is it if, if, is, is it if two people believe it, then that's the most true? Is that the narrow way? Or is it if, it, in other words, if too many people believe this, it can't be the narrow way. And again, with all of our baggage from Christianity and, and where we felt like we've been hurt and lied to, et cetera, um, 
it tends to stoke this, this, this idea. And I think that's incredibly, uh, important to be aware of that potential and that possibility. And so we gravitate. So, so if we find, if we find a minimalist view or a, a, a an out or, or minority view and there's a few people that are teaching it, we go like, yep, this is it. And we accept it as truth. But again, what we don't realize is happening is that we're also accepting it as our identity. Think about how many, you know, how many in our movement and our walk that you've been around, how many people you've been around. What are some of the immediate questions and some of the immediate topics of conversation when you meet a new, you know, Messianic Hebrew roots person? How do you say the name? What calendar do you keep? Right? What shape is, which shape, you know, what about the cosmology and the shape of the earth? Right? These are, are fundamental questions that we ask. I, you know, I, I know, I know this. I know this. And if this is not your experience, then good. But just know that this is experience for a lot of folks. And, and, and we divide over the lines of what calendar and how you say the name and, and these, and all these things. When does the Sabbath start? What shape is the earth? What, you know, blah, blah, blah. How do you feel about the rabbis? All these things. We divide over all these things because the truth is we're not seeking truth. We're seeking an identity. But the, our, what we call it masks what it really is. And so we, if we were really seeking truth, if we really wanted to get to truth, we wouldn't divide over somebody else's opinion. We would, we would integrate other people's opinion into our knowledge base. We would go find all the different things that we could find. And if somebody said, Oh, well, the, you know, the Bible says the earth is flat instead of going, you're nuts. Or if somebody said, Oh no, I'm, I believe the, you know, I believe we live on a, on a, I'm a heliocentrist. And if you believe the earth is flat instead of saying, well, you believe the big lie and you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. Instead of saying that, why don't we go, okay, um, let's talk about that. Cause I'm, I'm interested. This is what I believe, but I'm interested in knowing what else is out there that I may have not considered. Have you cons- ever considered that you haven't considered everything? <laughs> Do you know how long the cosmology debate has been going on? Much longer than the two years that you've been studying Torah or the 15 years that you've been studying Torah or the 40 years that you've been studying Torah and seeking truth. The the cosmology debate is eons older than what you are. And we have to just be humble enough to go, okay, uh, there's more to learn. Again, this is the Dunning-Kruger effect. This is what we're talking about. So we're in search for truth, but we're in search for an identity as well because we left our identity in Christianity or we, at least that's the way we, we portray it. And so there's a struggle inside of us as we're in this in between state. And so we, we have to be careful and many of you may be already past this stage and you may be thinking, good night. I wish this discussion was around whenever I was going through this. It has saved me a lot of trouble. And uh, maybe maybe my family would still talk to me and maybe I wouldn't have alienated all of my friends and uh, maybe my marriage would have worked out. You know, um, I was talking to someone last week and uh, I this I feel like this was just an just an, an inkling of 
of wisdom that I don't know I've ever had. You may hear it and you go like, no, dude, that's completely off. You're way off base. But, you know, I was talking to this person and they said, you know, well, you know, my, the person I'm in a relationship with really doesn't, um, you know, doesn't pursue the tour. You know, they, they really don't have any, um, any care, you know, so much about this, uh, at all. And I said, well, and they were kind of, you know, like, you know, I probably wasn't a good decision, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, let me ask you this. Um, you know, do they stand in your way? Do they, do they adamantly oppose you, you know, studying Torah and, you know, whatever? And they were like, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, they'll listen to, you know, services with me and, you know, and stuff. And they're just not engaged. And I said, okay, so just some perspective on this is that I know more than I would like to admit. More couples than I would like to admit where the husband or the wife feel like they're being drawn to the Torah, to Shabbat and leaving the Sunday church. And the other spouse is adamantly, militantly opposed. And really sadly, many times, not many times, but there are a significant amount of times that either the marriage really struggles or it just ends. They just go, you know what? We're not at the same place. We're not going the same direction. It's probably better for us to not. So my question to this person was, um, which one is worse? Which one is worse to be in a relationship that, you know what? Yeah, maybe not be the best for you. It's not ideal, maybe, but they don't stand in your way of pursuing God. I actually think that's, I actually think that's pretty cool. Given, you know, there are other issues there, but, or a husband and wife that are quote unquote biblically married and, you know, and, and not, in sin, yet they their marriage struggles because of the 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 turmoil and the tension, right? I mean, I don't know. It's a good question, though. It's something to explore. So this this trauma that we that we exhibit, and I, and I'm not talking about clinical trauma. I'm talking about just personal frustration, anxiety, chaos that we have. Because we're trying to follow God, right? All of this, the understanding is that, hey, we're, no, we're, we're trying to do what we feel like God is trying to do. What we don't, sadly, what we don't have is enough teaching, in my opinion, and enough wisdom out there that people, we're actually talking about these things. Because I think these things are incredibly important. But one of the ways that we are still very Christian in, in this transition is that we don't take into account psychology. We don't take into account how just human beings work, how we process life. Somehow, I guess, you know, as, as people of faith or Christians or, you know, believers or spiritual people or whoever, we're exempt from the human experience, which is malarkey. And a lot of this comes, again, you know, we say we're not Christians, but man, we, boy, we really are. But because for many of us, the, the, the sciences, especially stuff like counseling, you know, and, and all these things were, um, were demeaned. They were beguiled. They were, they were, you know, they were talked down about to the point where all you need is the Bible. And if your faith is, is, in good order and you know scripture, memorize more scripture and you have a good quiet time routine and your prayer life is good and you're coming to church and you're paying your tithes, 
um, then you shouldn't have any depression or anxiety or, you know, insecurity or any of that kind of stuff. And if you do have those things, then, uh, something's wrong in your spiritual life. Well, the truth of the matter is, uh, that's a big fat lie. Um, and we've negated or we have created our own Christian counseling thing. Um, where thankfully there are really good Christian counselors out there that actually understand psychology in a, in a godly perspective, right? Um, and what do I mean by that? I don't mean that they change psychology to fit the Bible. I mean, they understand that God gave wisdom. God is in everything and he created everything. This world is his. And psychologists are not trying to do some kind of voodoo black magic on you. Um, they have found the part of God's creation that the church has left behind. They found, they found a key to this part of God's creation that the church abandoned. We abandoned it. The best counselors out there should be people, people who know God and believe God and who, we should be the ones with all the wisdom. But we abandon the way the mind works, the way humanity exists and functions and navigates life. For this sola scriptura, vanilla, black and white, one-dimensional idea of truth. And, and so we are at a, at a lack of education and awareness. We're at a whack, we're at a lack of awareness. When we react in a certain way, when we're going through a certain thing, the first thing we usually think is, where's the sin in my life? When really the first thing we probably should be thinking is, am I eating well? Am I sleeping well? Are my thoughts good? Those kinds of things. So this is all about worshiping at Mount Stupid. And again, this was even more uh, in-depth than the teaching was. So I hope you've enjoyed this this part of the discussion and it's caused you to maybe ask some questions and things. Um, when we post this, leave some comments on Facebook, YouTube. Uh, let's, uh, let's continue the conversation. And so think about this stuff. We'll be back next week with uh, the next part. And uh, this is going to be slower, more methodical than on Shabbat. So hope that you'll stick around. Have a great week, everybody. All God's blessings to you. Shalom, shalom.